This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And now you're listening to an episode of Brainwaves and joining me as always is neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar. How are you doing today, Dr. I'm Azlina? I'm good. I wish I had more sleep because yes. <laughs> that's the topic today, but uh, I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. Yes, the thing is sleep is something that everyone is very concerned about these days. You know, whether you're an early bird or you're a night owl, everyone needs sleep, but People have questioned, do we as adults really need seven hours of sleep a day? You know, why do some people seem to get away with less and others seem to need more? So on today's show, we want to find out more about why sleep matters for both our cognitive and overall health and well-being. So to help us shed more light on this is Professor Dr. Michael Chi, Director of the Centre for Sleep and Cognition at the Yong Lulin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore. Prof. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. And um, thanks for inviting me on your show. Glad to have you on. Hopefully we can figure out some tips and tricks on how to help us all sleep better these days. Um, but maybe, Prof, you can help kickstart the conversation um, by describing what makes good or restorative sleep. You know, what factors would you usually be looking at? Well, thanks. That's a great question. Um, typically, when people ask about how did you sleep, people think of two things. Um, sleep duration and then this thing called sleep quality. But um, in truth, sleep you know, is a multidimensional construct, mm. uh, multi multifactorial, and beyond duration and quality or satisfaction, there's also um, how uh, regular your sleep is, uh, what the timing of that sleep is, whether your sleep was efficient. In other words, whether the time you spent in bed was actually asleep or some of that was spending looking at your phone or tossing and turning or thinking about things and being unable to sleep. And then finally, um, the alertness you have uh, or you feel when you wake up in the morning. So those are six things, the duration, the efficiency, the timing, um, alertness, satisfaction or self-perceived quality and then regularity. Mm. Now, we often hear that, you know, most adults should get about seven hours of sleep. But we know both anecdotally and through studies that most people, you know, don't actually meet the, the sleep recommendations that we often hear about, which is what you say, the duration and quality, Prof. Um, is there actually a recommended length of time for sleep when we look at different age groups? Okay, firstly, I want to begin uh, with your last comment. Mm. Are there different sleep recommendations for different age groups? Uh, the answer is yes, and we can elaborate on later. Um, the other point about sleep duration, seven hours. Now, the U.S. National Sleep Foundation has recommended between seven to nine hours uh, sleep. But uh, here in Asia, that is quite uncommon, mm -hmm. uh, probably less than... Um, maybe uh, definitely less than half, but uh, maybe down to only uh, a third of people actually achieve that in the adult age group. Mm. Um, I also wish to clarify for the audience, and this is very important, that this sleep duration um, recommendation was largely based on uh, questionnaire data, mm -hmm. which means people were asked, how long did you sleep? Now, um, when those questionnaires were asked, probably in the uh, mostly in the pre iPhone era, people were um, think most people would, you know, go to bed and then they would go to sleep. Nowadays, we know that people 
um, spend some time, you know, on their devices before they go to bed. They mm-hmm. may be interrupted in the middle of the night um, by concerns or by devices. And then in the morning when they get up, you know, they're in bed, but they are fiddling with their phone. So um, how much of that time are you actually asleep? Now, even if you uh, intended to sleep when you lay in bed, uh, sleep efficiency is not perfect. And mm. even in healthy adults, it's about, in the best case scenario, it's about 90%. And um, as you get older, it drops to 80 or slightly below 80, in, even in healthy people, 80%. So that means if you spend um, seven hours time in bed, you're only asleep, actually asleep for about six and a half, six or some, six point something hours. Mm. So um, people should separate, you know, if they are using uh, sleep trackers, the, the actual time they are asleep versus the, the time they are in bed. So most of the time when we say seven hours uh, sleep, you're referring to time in bed, which means you're probably getting uh, slightly over six and something hours of sleep. Hmm. Now, in terms of um, the average person, uh, there is global data suggesting that, you know, this seven hours of report is like the sweet spot. So I don't think there's argument and we can talk about this uh, in a bit more. Mm-hmm. There's no argument that there, uh, for the average person, um, you know, spending seven hours or allocating seven hours time in bed is the optimum uh, for uh, reducing all-cause mortality, which means uh, reducing your overall uh, risk of death in giving fairly optimal cognition, cognitive performance, evaluated by games, and then also um, giving um, optimal cardiometabolic, uh, which means uh, risk of heart attack, risk of, of um, diabetes outcomes. Mm. Uh, so, Prof Chi, so. can, I, can I just clarify? Uh, the seven hours sleep that you mentioned, that is um, preferably in a block, correct? Cor- um, correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the recommendations I would like to add are generated from essentially Western societies, right? Mm. So over 80, 85% of all sleep uh, research is generated from the West. Uh, we generate some high quality work, but it's still, you know, fairly new. And in the West, um, uh, sleep during a main nocturnal period is viewed as the norm uh, once you're past your teenage years. So, um, in fact, in in, uh, Northern Europe and in the US, uh, people sort of frown on napping. So in Asia, (laughs) napping is or was maybe and still is, you know, relatively common. Mm -hmm. Or in some uh, countries in uh, Middle East and Malaysia, people do get up for, say, prayers in the morning. And then, you know, they they spend some of the afternoon hours asleep. So the recommendation is seven hours nocturnal sleep in in societies where that is the predominant habit. Now, in societies where uh, what we call monophasic or only nocturnal sleep in adults uh, is uh, is not uh, practiced by all or most of the people, then um, you probably need slightly different norms. And we can talk about this. On the show with me today are Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar, neurogeneticist and Professor Dr. Michael Chi, Director of the Centre for Sleep and Cognition at the Yonglu Lin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore. We are talking about the importance of sleep for our cognitive health on this episode of Brainwaves. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. You're tuned into an episode of Brainwaves and joining me as always is neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar. Today we are taking a look at the role of sleep for our brain health and to do that we're also joined by Professor Dr. Michael Chi, Director of the Centre for Sleep and Cognition at the Yong Lulin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore. Now let's take a look at sleep patterns, um, right? The most common ones we hear are the those who are um, early birds or night owls. Prof Chi, what determines or influences people's sleep patterns, especially when we look at this modern world, right? How much of it is due to our environment? How much of it is actually wired in us? That's a very uh, interesting and important question. So um, the way you might want to determine your sleep need is to actually take a, a vacation uh, where you are free from worry and uh, responsibilities. Now, I understand mm-hmm. <laughs> that the audience is, um, you know, a very diverse group, but most of the people tuning into this probably have the privilege of taking a vacation once in a while and mm-hmm. then doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the your sleep duration during those periods, and that's probably um, what you... Um, you, you know, your habitual uh, sleep... Or so your, without your alarms, for example... Yes, I mean, with not only without alarms, but without, you know, sort of um, too much of the daily worries and, mm. you know, of the job, the family, etc. Now, um, the sleep need is uh, quite biologically driven. I mean, everyone has a different set. We talk about seven hours on average, but it can vary a, few, a bit. Uh, the problem we have in Asia is that a lot of people think, oh, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those lucky people who genetically needs only like four hours or five hours of sleep. That is, um, I think you, if you believe that, it's um, it's quite delusional and you're going to hurt <laughs> your health um, long term. Now, uh, uh, just circling back to your point about, you know, um, the influence of uh, genetic or inherent or implicit um, uh, drives and then external factors. Now, um, I think in the modern world, which you're alluding to, a lot of what is um, you know, sleep duration is driven by uh, social factors, mm-hmm. right? Now, there's one more intrinsic factor. We talk about duration, but there's also preferred timing, and people do have intrinsic differences in preferred sleep timing. Now, um, most people, uh, if given a chance in uh, in Asia, in our part of the world, um, will sleep, uh, you know, uh, before midnight and you know i would say pre 2000 average bedtime would be you know around 11 or slightly earlier but now it's, it's sort of shifted to closer to midnight mm-hmm. now um so sleep preference is actually driven by um by internal preferences a bit of genes but social norms um do shift that or our perception of that over time that's why i say you need to take a real holiday to um, to reset. Now, what are the things that shifted? The number one thing uh, is either work or studies. Um, the reason is that we have um, the wake up time is relatively fixed, okay, because we have to prepare for school or we prepare, go to work or, you know, um, f- social responsibilities that typically occur at a fairly regular basis in the uh, weekday compared to the weekends. Mm. Um, and however, uh, bedtime is the one that we can adjust and bedtime is being pushed later and later by different factors. 
And it depends. I mean, students, you know, especially the hard driving ones, uh, will uh, they are tending to sleep uh, later, and this is um, fueled also by uh, more time spent on electronic devices, whether that's constructive or not. Um, and that happens. Um, I noticed uh, Selena is nodding her head. Um, <laughs> it happens for everyone, you know, uh, across different uh, mm. social strata for different reasons, and that's uh, chipping away at sleep. Mm. Okay, I think I, the reason why I was nodding is because I often have these conversations with my own students, and uh, you know, they come to class and they fall asleep, and I ask them what time did they, you know, sleep last night, and it's always two or three, and and and. Uh, and I worry for them. And also, a lot of them, actually, they say that, well, I, I sleep late because I find I work better at night, you know, and, um, and, and they say that they're just so busy through the day and that they find that they're able to focus and all that. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to, to try to convince somebody who has that sort of belief that they, you know, they're more productive at night, maybe mm. everything is, you know, more quiet and, 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 and what would you say to that? What, what advice should I give to my students when they say that to me, Papchi? Okay, so I, I want to say that um, we have actually uh, conducted uh, fairly large-scale surveys in, yeah, high school students, you know, they, they have to wake up uh, about six-ish. They're, they're sleeping past midnight, so mm. many of them are not getting even six hours uh, time in bed. Um, but for university students, yes, two or three is uh, quite common. Um, so... In relation to having some quiet uh, to work, that is true. Um, there are relatively fewer uh, distractions late at night. So that may be partially true, but uh, you don't become productive when you're tired. I think that's mm. uh, delusional. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that uh, sleep loss does to you is that it does impair your your judgment. You know, mm. um, you think you're fine, you actually are not. Mm. Um, so, um, yes, these social uh, shift in social patterns and the fact that um, you are chatting most of the day and uh, taking up time that can be purpose for productive, really productive activity to give you time to, to sleep at night. Uh, I think that's shifted over the years. It's a source of concern mm -hmm. and um, it needs to be addressed. That's mm -hmm. right. I mean, I think um, a lot of them are, are on social media. Um, and also they, they they just don't know how to structure their day, I think, better, you know, and I think that's probably something that they, because they, they feel that they can still cope because they're mm. young and, and they don't realise the longer term effects, you know, probably they don't see it, they're, they're fine until they graduate, but actually it has a sort of longer term effect, right, Prof? Um, you know, I want to say three things mm -hmm. about, I want to say three things about this. Mm -hmm. um, the first is that, there are short-term effects. So mm -hmm. we just uh, published a work uh, tracking university students with objective measures so we know how long they slept, the timing they slept uh, for each person for uh, you know uh, periods ranging from two to eight weeks. And uh, these were um, you know tens of students. And uh, what we found was that uh, for each given person, the individual sleep duration, you know, doesn't quite affect their mood, their motivation, or their sleepiness. But if they slept shorter than their average, then their mood and motivation and sleepiness were worse, mm -hmm. right, for the, for the day after that night's sleep. But if they slept better, then it would recover within a day. So there are definite uh, effects 
within the day uh, uh, following a poor night's sleep mm -hmm. and uh, that these effects can be quite narrow if you you can compensate for them they are not de they are dependent on that individual's uh, sleep duration relative to their average but not you know the person's average sleep duration compared to other people so there are immediate effects um, the long-term effects um, it, it's um, it's just challenging to persuade uh, people that this is going to harm them, but this uh, there's abundant data uh, that's accumulating to, to show this, um, whether it's high blood pressure or uh, risk of cognitive decline or um, yeah, uh, risk of heart attacks, it's there. You, know, uh, you can ignore it at your own peril. Mm -hmm. The third thing I wanted to say is that um, uh, one major contributor to these um, societal issues is that um, the technology has basically destroyed um, boundaries and it shifted social norms. I think when uh, we were growing up, or certainly when I was growing up, it was considered quite rude to call, you know, a friend at you know past 10 p.m. Um, mm -hmm. And also, you know, when work ended, it ended. Mm -hmm. Now with uh, technology, I mean, a boss can con contact the employee at any time of day or night, and unless there's some kind of social agreement that uh, this is you know, you need to have some downtime uh, and creating anxiety in your employees is not exactly um, uh, favorable to you, mm -hmm. even if you are a hardcore profit-driven person, okay? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, if their mental health suffers, you are going to suffer, mm -hmm. okay? So uh, that's, an, I think, that third point is something that people should take to heart. Mm -hmm. I, I want to prove whether this is a good time to also ask that, um, you know, a lot of people, they sort of, they, they push themselves really hard through the week and then they'll say, well, I'll catch up on sleep on the weekend. Is it possible to catch up on sleep? So um, we spoke earlier about the dimensions of sleep health and mm -hmm. one of them was regularity. Um, so it turns out, so what, what you're doing with uh, catch up sleep is that essentially you're uh, you have you're running a deficit and you you're trying to repay it on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Now there are some studies to show that this is better than not repaying it, mm. but um, overall this will affect your um, sleep regularity, and sleep regularity is emerging as possibly an even larger influence on long-term uh, cardiometabolic health, meaning uh, risk of hypertension. Uh, heart disease than sleep duration. Hmm. Right. <laughs> so uh, we, we can't really catch up then. Can't really catch up. <laughs> not, not if you were thinking about the long-term effects. That's right. Correct. And I think um, people in Asia, we recently uh, published a work, uh, you know, using um, tracker data, mm -hmm. sleep tracker data from 35 countries uh, across 220,000 people in uh, 50 million nights of data. And one of the key points which... Um, Western reviewers just, they weren't in, interested in. But mm. what we found was that Asians, you know, despite the fact that they sleep shorter, start sleep uh, because they start sleep later and wake up about the same time. Uh, despite the, this, they have lower sleep efficiency, which means they really are suffering with sleep. And despite this, they are not really catching up as much as, say, Europeans or Australians uh, New, and New Zealanders. So, uh, what they are doing is that they, they're not getting as much catch-up sleep over the weekends, but they, because they're so sleep-deprived, they are catching up during the weekdays, and that drives the sleep 
uh, regularity uh, to crazy uh, levels, mm. right? And I think um, uh, we're playing with a health time bomb here. So people can deny all they want. This is like climate change. It will catch up with you. Um, the facts are the facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, you've touched on the physical well-being side of things, Prof, the cardiometabolic um, effects. Let's touch a bit more on the um, cognitive impact. You know, you also mentioned a bit about um, judgment, decision-making. What have you seen in terms of the impact of lack of sleep on things like um, attention and memory? Okay, so I spent quite a few years work doing experimental work on it. You know, so attention, uh, specifically meaning your ability to respond to um, something that is very important, but in a timely way. So this is particularly important when you're doing uh, tasks like driving. If you're monitoring screens and an event that is very uncommon occurs, so let's say uh, you know you you are in the ICU and, and something, you know, a signal uh, shows and you miss it. And mm. that could be a very important. Or if you are an air traffic controller or, uh, you know, and something happens and you miss that during that time, you're not vigilant or a baggage screener mm. and you miss uh, something. Um, this is where uh, the effect is strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, for memory, unsurprisingly, um, people focus on what's called memory consolidation or how you solidify and make memories uh, less prone to forgetting and interference, uh, falling sleep loss. But what we found is that encoding, right? As you mentioned, um, Dr. Azalina, um, uh, that you know, your students are falling asleep in class. Now, you're falling asleep in class, you can't encode, right? Mm. You can't. I mean, the, this thing about sleep learning is a pipe dream. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, you, you can't, if you don't encode, then it's like garbage in, garbage out. And, you know, you have to make it up sometime. You have to stay up. You have to catch up sometime. So get it right the first time uh, for learning and for uh, memory. But uh, the point that I'm going to insert uh, is that while I spent over a decade looking at cognition and attention is definitely hit, uh, memory encoding is definitely hit. Perhaps the biggest impact, you know, on young people with uh, sleep loss is their mental well-being, mm. mental health. I alluded to in the experiments uh, we did earlier, or the, the observations we made earlier, about how your day-to-day fluctuation in sleep duration can affect your mood, your motivation, and your sleepiness. Now, this, you know, um, is material uh, because um, we are all social beings, and how we interact with people. Um, it also affects the way these other people we can in contact with interact with others. So let me give you a concrete example. Let's mm-hmm. say you, you know, a boss had a, a poor night's sleep because he's worried about his, um, you know, the company profits, and then you know he he is just grumpy the next day. The first employee comes to his room, he, he tells him you know something rude, and then you know he puts down a second one. These two guys go out in the room. You know they are in a lousy mood. You know, uh, or they feel bad, so they they um, you know they could hit on other people to, mm. to trigger that effect, or they could feel um, a loss of confidence and not perform like you know they could, right? So I think these effects on mental well-being are the ones that, in the long run, to me, are more important. They're harder to quantify objectively, but mm. uh, with we have we have now ways and means to get at these effects and. It's just a matter of time before. I think there's awareness already about this, but I hope this show um, helps amplify that um, seed of awareness. Mm. 
people also often talk about pulling all-nighters, Prof, especially for students, right? I, I know in my own days in university and in school, I did the same because people, well, we, we, we think that when we cram all that information in that few short hours right before an exam, for example, that will consolidate memory, but at the cost of sleep. I mean, is, is, there, is that necessarily true that our memory does improve in that short term? Um, well, if you want to play the lottery and you want to memorize uh, or you want to retain uh, a restricted uh, body of facts mm. and that body of facts is actually tested the next day, that might work for you. Mm. Uh, so I'm not going to say it has got zero benefit, but in the long term, you know, what you learn is, you know, it's not going to be as well retained mm. as if you spaced out the learning and you reinforced it by periodic discipline uh, uh, re revision of the material or reflection on the material. Um, mm. Yeah, I speak this uh, to this not as, you know, someone who's just read something and says it, but I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong learner and, uh, you know, I, I believe in uh, actively um, consolidating your information by reviewing it all the time periodically. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I find that that mode of um, studying or testing for exams might be good for exams, but it doesn't make you a more effective employee. And I think we are coming to an era where, you know, um, AI is going to take over a lot of knowledge fields and, you know, your ability to reason, think fluidly uh, on the spot is going to be more valued, uh, pay more. And, and, and uh, you know, the people who just parrot stuff, you know, after a night of cramming, well, they're going to learn that that's not going to pay off. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that's probably driven as well by this sort of um, misleading belief, I think, that, you know, whatever you study and then after that, if you sleep, then sleep helps to consolidate that memory, right? So they think that, oh, if I, no, if uh, I, if you, I cram you, and then after that, then I sleep, then, you know, that, that's actually going to be helping me. But they don't realise it, that it's at the cost of that they have lost sleep. sleep. Yeah. Is that is that uh, right, uh, Prafji? Yes, yes. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's also the benefits of spacing out learning mm -hmm. uh, because you, you, you retain material and you digest it more effectively if you space out the learning uh, mm. over, over periods rather than cram. Yeah. You know, the bottom line is really, um, it's, you know, if you want to improve sleep, you really have to re-engineer how you approach life. And that's something that more progressive people will consider because you realize that um, elite performers, be they professional athletes, um, and increasingly in the C-suite, people are focusing on sleep because they realize it's, it's a key ingredient to high performance. We do have to go for another quick break. On the show with me today are neurogeneticist Dr. Azina Ahmad Anwar and Professor Dr. Michael Chi, Director of the Centre for Sleep and Cognition at the Yong Lulin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore for this episode of Brainwaves. Keep it here on Health and Living, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. It is an episode of Brainwaves with neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar. And joining us today is Professor Dr. Michael Chi, Director of the Centre for Sleep and Cognition at the Yong Lulin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore. We are focusing on the importance of getting good sleep and how um, putting off sleep, especially quality sleep, um, 
can have both short and long-term impact on your brain and your physical health. So a lot of things to worry about there and to worry about now when you're still young rather than to think that you can catch up on sleep later on. Um, Prof Chi, we've spoken a lot about the working age adults, but if we now look at the cohort of older adults, right, um, to what extent does age also aggravate the impact of lack of sleep? So... Um let me explain cohort effects, right? So cohort effects refer to effects that affect uh, particular uh, uh, people be- belonging to a certain birth age cohort. We, so we talk about Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z. So, um, you know, these refer to cohorts and mm-hmm. uh, cohort effects refer to uh, the fact that there are different exposures and values and behaviors associated with um uh, different uh, generations. So uh, I think that um, many people in the older generations presently um, live in the era uh, where you know sleep was uh, more sensible. And mm. one of the things I, I failed to mention earlier with young people is that um, you can say that you you know you can defer good sleep till later after you've made it in your career, maybe after your first heart attack or stroke, huh? <laughs> um, is that once you entrench bad habits, they are very, very difficult to undo. Mm. Very, very difficult. Can I say that again one <laughs> third time? Very, very difficult. Okay, Because habits are exactly what they are. They are behaviors that are set in you and you, ha- you have to either, you know, a catastrophic event or uh, sheer force of will, uh, you know, uh, to, to change them. Now, older people, by and large, lived and they they had their habits set at a gentler time where, you know, the pattern of time use and the valuation of, uh, you know, sleep was different. Mm-hmm. So, if they have issues with sleep, it's because um, there are some changes in their physiology, mm. um, which, you know, it's part of the process of growing older. Um, so, what are the, some of those changes? So my review uh, points out that, you know, there are firstly, sleep duration does decline a little bit, even though the time in bed might not change mm-hmm. so much and uh, the sleep becomes um, uh, more fragmented. So we talked about sleep efficiency earlier. So a very efficient sleep is when you uh, hit the sack, you, you, you lie down, you're knocked out. Mm. And then next thing you know, um, you're either woken up by the alarm or, or the, you know, uh, you wake up spontaneously in the morning. Mm. Um, now, as you get older, you know, having the luxury of this continuous sleep is, you know, it, it's it's less common. People tend to wake up in the middle of the night. Then they wonder. Or firstly, they might have some difficulty for more difficulty falling asleep uh, when they when they uh, they might wake up in the night and then have difficulty falling asleep, or they make up wake up uh, early in the morning. Uh, yes. Yeah, so these are things that happen. Um, with normal aging, um, very healthy ages get away. Mm. Lovely for them. But most people who hit um, past 50 for men especially, and um, uh, yeah, definitely from your 60s, you will, most people will encounter some deterioration in sleep quality. How does this affect uh, people? Now, there's been a lot said that, you know, the poor sleep will increase your risk of cognitive decline. So people worry about this and they say, well, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm going to get demented because I'm only you know I've only you know slept uh, like five hours and mm. then uh, despite spending like nine hours in bed, 
what I'm going to say is that um, there are some things within your control and some things with outside your control. So um, this uh, deterioration and sleep, um, that if you have some control of it, fine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's you know relaxing more, spending some time asleep, doing all the good things with sleep hygiene, like. Um, we can talk about in a while, like uh, avoiding alcohol before bedtime, um, you know, relaxing before bedtime, you know, and, and things like that for sleep hygiene. Uh, if you practice all that and the sleep is still poor, I mean, it could be a signal that something is amiss. Mm-hmm. But if you had insight into it, it's sort of good because it means that, well, you, you're still aware. People with, um, you know, at greatest risk, uh, you know, where the sleep is deteriorating and they don't have insight. Now, um, there is a lot of concern about short sleep and uh, cognitive decline, but there's also a, a point I should raise that if your sleep duration as you get older starts increasing or is very long beyond eight to nine hours, you know, that is actually a greater, you know, is a, is a higher risk marker for mm. negative outcomes. Um, there are various reasons for this, uh, which we might not may or may not get into depending on time. Mm. Mm. Um, we also often hear about this link between lack of sleep to Alzheimer's disease or dementia in particular. How concerning is that link? I think because we, we know that lack of sleep leads to accumulation of beta amyloids um, and that is linked to Alzheimer's disease, right? So how concerning is that? Oh, I think, uh, you know, tell that to younger people because mm. uh, tell that to younger people. With all mm. the people, I think, generally speaking, um, you know, it's the worried well and the well-informed that, you know, are, are angst over this. Um, and as I mentioned in, you know, the last few minutes, um, there's things you can do mm. and there are things that probably uh, indicate that the the, um, the process is already quite far gone. Because don't forget with uh, a neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's disease, you only begin manifesting symptoms um, about 20 years after the process has begun, right? Mm-hmm. So the seeds start in your like 30s and 40s, and then you know they the they bear fruit, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70, right, or, or later. Um, and sleep is one contributor. It's not you know the only thing, but it's increasingly recognized as uh, something you pay attention to. So the message is. Uh, very clear to me. Um, I would focus on young people mm. and, uh, you know, tell them, hey, look, you know, if you don't want to end up uh, with a bad outcome and, and you can choose your poison, frankly, um, uh, because there, there are at least there are multiple poisons, uh, you, you should pay attention to fostering good habits while you still can. Because there are a good number of uh, people I'm seeing in um, across the world because mm. I travel a fair bit they're complaining about insomnia, they have anxieties, they can't sleep. And then, you know, um, it starts off uh, uh, quite benign, happens uh, just once in a while, then it becomes entrenched and then poor sleep becomes a norm. And then, you know, they become, you know, uh, their function just degrades. And and then, you know, um, once, it, once insomnia is very entrenched, it can be quite resistant to treatment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Prof G, maybe I could also ask, you know, about the beta amyloid accumulation. I suppose for, for people in my age group who maybe did not look after our sleep when we were younger and, and we are concerned that perhaps there right. is some so, beta accumulation that has happened. I have been asked this before. Is it possible to somehow delete or remove the beta amyloid that has already accumulated? Or is or what is another way that I could um, reduce the, the potential longer term effects of, of now having that beta amyloid accumulation already? Okay, so you are talking about uh, a slightly different topic, which is essentially the approach to a reduction of risk of Alzheimer's disease or uh, or its uh, detection and treatment. So mm. I think uh, beyond... Uh, okay, so why is sleep important with, uh, um, with Alzheimer's specifically is that there is... Uh, reasonable experimental evidence to show that um, this so what is beta amyloid to the people who don't uh, know? It is um, uh, a molecule that is uh, uh, mishandled in the brain, uh, and then uh, uh, in people with uh, risk of Alzheimer's disease, it is not uh, trimmed properly, and when it this uh, faulty molecule accumulates, it then serves as like um, a node for the aggregation of other uh, substances to cause. Um, a loss of neurons or brain cells, and mm-hmm. then loss of uh, brain connectivity, leading to uh, uh, impaired memory in particular, but it can also affect other aspects of behavior. Now, with this, uh, the accumulation uh, can be uh, reduced, or is reduced uh, when you enter deep sleep, uh, because the certain channels open up, and they uh, they conduct away uh, some of the uh, more soluble uh, parts of this uh, amyloid protein so that they don't accumulate in your brain to cause problems. Okay, so that's the uh, theoretical understanding. Mm. Now, you can also um, improve both sleep and um, cognition longer in older persons by paying attention to physical activity. That mm. is, you know, obtaining uh, sufficient exercise and, um, and uh, you know, um, this is one of the clear interventions that's of benefit. So mm. exercise, especially aerobic exercise, where you mm-hmm. get your heart rate up, uh, you know, for at least uh, 30 minutes, three times a week, is beneficial for both sleep and for, um, you know, long-term cognition. And then, of course, uh, the other leg in, in uh, lifestyle, modifiable lifestyle factors is maintaining a healthy diet. Um, the last thing which is not talked about but is increasingly important uh, for better cognitive outcomes is the social interaction. Mm. Uh, one of the biggest problems, uh, we have this in Singapore amongst our older persons, but increasingly in modern societies, it's very bizarre because you're connected all the time with the internet, but people feel more lonely mm. uh, and uh, social isolation from loneliness from whatever cause. Uh, not having a good network of supportive friends. I mean, this uh, and engaging in, you know, social activity when you interact with people, mm-hmm. you know, your brain is engaged because you will figure, how do I not irritate this person? Or <laughs> how do I get away from this person? You know, that makes your brain work in, in helpful ways as well. 
Mm, all right. Um, I guess we are running out of time, Prof. So uh, I, I get to wrap up our discussion. I guess we want to talk. I want to talk about sleep guidelines as well. Um, you know, I I did see that you you do you did mention in your review as well that the importance of guidelines should be actionable. To what extent are current sleep guidelines um sufficient, and how do we ensure that they are actionable? Because, like you say, we don't want to just focus on duration, right? Um, I think duration is the focus uh, for for several good reasons. Firstly, it is the uh, measure that is the easiest, uh, you know, to objectively measure and people understand. Okay, it's a target, and mm-hmm. when if you have if you have a desire to improve your sleep, you you will set it as the low hanging target. But um, in addition to that, I mean, I think you have to focus on the quality is different from duration, the mm-hmm. satisfaction, and that comes from preparing yourself uh, to sleep. Uh, so all the various things you can do, relax, you know, um, avoid uh, stimulants before you sleep, coffee, um, uh, soft drinks that contain caffeine, tea, um, you um, alcohol. You know, some people think alcohol is, uh, you know, helps you sleep. Actually, it, it, uh, it doesn't. Mm. It really doesn't. All right. You may knock out, but then you wake up and then you have a poor night's sleep. Um, um, relaxing a relaxing routine before you go to bed, stopping work and telling friends, <laughs> look, um, I value your health as well as mine. So mm-hmm. can we just cut off at past a certain time? Ditto, um, you know, uh, bosses, you know, they have to understand that if they don't give their employees an opportunity to recharge, well, you know, blame themselves for poor productivity. Right? <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah, so um, so I've covered duration, uh, alertness, timing, try to get to sleep, um, you know, clo- closer to before midnight, you know, and you'll see the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then regularity, I mean, we all have, you know, the modern world has got different uh, um, demands on us. But if you if you pay attention to duration and timing, the regularity will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Because you will set up routines that you know uh, try to ensure this. Mm-hmm. I think I think I'd probably also add on about uh, reducing uh, surfing um, on on the phone and also social media just before that, just before sleep, right? Because uh, if not- I, I will say I will say certain things because mm-hmm. uh, about this now the the traditional view for people uh, who are slightly older is say, well, you know, this is bad uh, because it interferes with sleep. Now, for the young people, because they've grown up uh, with, uh, you know, swiping and scrolling as like, it's like walking to them. So it's very native to them. For some people, it's actually comforting, you know, to look at, uh, okay, to listen to calming music, to look at uh, um, like um, a YouTube video of nature that is calming. So you can interact with your devices. Uh, keep the light low, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, I mean, do something relaxing. Do not do something that is exciting. What well, it might be pleasurable, <laughs> exciting. Oh, I got this new friend. I'm so excited about this relationship. Uh, but that will keep you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this blockbuster movie. Look at you know how many uh, punches are flying every second. You know, <laughs> that will keep you up. Uh, but if it's something relaxing, it's not a taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, people need to to know that you know. Um, yes. I guess ultimately it's us all finding what works best for us um, within this sort of broad principles, right? Mm-hmm. I do believe that um, you know we we have um, we have coaching, tuition for different things. I think the the day is coming where we we actually start uh, 
with people with society has lost its way so badly in terms of sleep i think sleep coaching is going to be um you know something that is going to emerge as a as something important to help people uh get set on the right path again mm, all right um thank you so much for joining us today prof chi oh it's been a pleasure and and thank you for inviting me and i hope you know your listeners benefit and sleep better as a result of what i said All right, and thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Azlina. I've been speaking to neurogeneticist Dr. Azlina Ahmad Anwar and Professor Dr. Michael Chi, Director of the Centre for Sleep and Cognition at the Yong Lulin School of Medicine, National University of Singapore. I'm Lim Suan, and this has been Brainwaves on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.